Calm down, calm down, because this is the low-key part of the service. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right, all right. Father, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would use it to reach us, teach us, and bleach us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Somebody get excited. Come on. All right, I've been, I've been out of this pulpit for about four or five weeks, and it feels good to be back. So I, I understand I, I, I could take about two or three hours instead today because I've been out a long time. Amen? All right, so lean in. Here's the quote for this morning. Ready? Thank you. One person. We're good. Me and you will jive the rest of the week. We're good. Here's the quote. We should not ask what is wrong with this world. For that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask, what has happened to the salt and the light? Amen. That made a kid cry in children's church. <laughs> Praise God. That was deep. Church, I, I, I want to get started. But before I get started, I want to kind of make sure that we are all on the same page this morning. I know that many of you, you're at different levels. We're in, we're in different spiritual maturities, and we come from different places. We, some of us have been in church 15 years. Some of us have only been in church 15 minutes. I want to make sure that we, before, before we move on, that we all, everyone here, has a basic understanding of who we are and what we're called to be. Amen? Can I do that? You don't have a choice anyway, but... Because you see, today, I have a two part message that I want to share with you this week and next week because the week after that is the 21st and that's National Back to Church Sunday. There's over 3,000 churches participating in that. We've done it for a few years now. Every year it, it's, it's been successful. We have a lot of people that come and stay and because somebody invited them to National Back to Church Sunday. So I, I'm going to encourage you to do that and on that day, we're going to start a brand new series. That night, we're going to have baptism services. And before I'm finished today, I'm going to be calling some of you here to be baptized on that evening. Somebody say amen. amen. Because it's time that some of you took your walk to another level. Tell somebody it's time. You've been visiting long enough. You've been on the fence long enough. You've been uh, checking the visitor box long enough. Amen. You've been lukewarm long enough. It's time to take your walk to another level. If that's you, say amen. amen. All right, so this two-part message is for all of us that are already here. All right, so tell, them that's, tell somebody that's for me. This is for me, so pay attention today because this is for you. Amen? The title of this message is simply, and, and, and it's the call that I want to put on your lives in the next two weeks. The title of this message is, Be the message. Revelation, amen? Be the message. Listen, the, the, the truth of the matter is you don't need to just hear another message. It's time to be the message. You don't need to just like another message. It's time to be the message. You don't need to be entertained by another messenger. You need to be the message, amen? You don't need to talk about another message. Hashtag be the message. Be the message. Family, it's getting real out there and we have to stop listening to the messages that keep us in a selfie kind of world. 
where everything revolves around self. If you, if you listen to TV, man, everything is about what makes me happy, what makes me successful, what makes me prosperous, what makes me feel good, what satisfies me. That's the messages that you can hear. I want to go old school evangelist on you this morning. Amen? Because whenever I get up on this platform, I, I, I have the, the realization that this might be the only chance that I get to speak into some of your lives. And the, the, with, if you look on Facebook, if you look at the news, this, that's so true, right? This could be the last chance that, that we're gathering in a place like this for, forever. This could be the last chance that you're ever here ready to hear a message. And so I, I want to make sure that um, if, if you came, I want to make sure that you receive life today. There's no time to waste. When you look at the conditions that we're living in today, we don't have time to, be, to worry about being politically correct. We don't have time to worry about, well, if you say it that way, somebody might get offended. If you, if, you, if you preach the word too strong, somebody might get offended. Listen, we should be offended at the, with the, the way people are twisting scripture all around us. Amen? Come on, you guys fall asleep or what? The bottom line is the world needs to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled. There's some of us right in this room, some of us right now listening to us that need to be reconciled to God. And the word says clearly there's only one way. There is only one way and it's Jesus. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what other religions say and, and they find that offensive. We should be offended. People want God. People want heaven. People want salvation. People want fruit. They want joy. They want Jesus, but they want their own version of Jesus. And they can't have that. You ever been to a, a funeral? I've been to too many funerals where... <coughs> Entire families, man, they've turned away from God. They haven't served God at all in years and years. But, but what happens at a funeral? Then everybody wants to say, oh, he's in a better place now. What, why? why? Why do you think he's in a, you know, and I'm not here to offend anybody or hurt anybody. But what I'm saying, you, you notice that when it comes to the end of our lives, then everybody wants to say, oh, but there's a better place after this. You would be uncomfortable in the better place after this because you didn't live for the better place after this. You lived for here. Oh, yeah, it's getting quiet. I'm sorry. Maybe that's too much. I, I don't know. But people want their own version of Jesus. And the Word never gave us that option. The Bible is dead clear. I'm going to prove it to you in the scriptures that Jesus was not just a good prophet. You can't incorporate Jesus into your religion like the Quran does, like the Mormons do, like the Jehovah Witnesses do, like so many other religions do. They incorporate Jesus. As long as Jesus is down with us, then we're okay. No, the word does not say you can't say he was a good man when clearly what's written about him in the scriptures says that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's God and it's says there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. Watch this scripture that you maybe, maybe you never heard or you never listened to. Watch this, John 10, 1. Jesus speaking to the disciples. He's teaching. And Jesus tells them in John 10, 1, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. And like many of you, it says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So in verse 7, it says, so Jesus said it again this way. I tell you the truth. 
I am the gate. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. A famous evangelist, Leonard Ravenhill, he's, he's quoted for saying, if Jesus had preached the same message that ministers preach today, he would never have been crucified. That didn't hit nobody heavy. Church, I don't care what the world teaches us today. And, and, and I know school just started and a lot of you are taking college courses and in college, man, they're going to they're gonna try to hit you with some real nonsense. And you got to know where you're coming from. You got to know where you stand. You got to know who God is because, listen, you have to be deaf, dumb, blind, and stupid to believe that we appeared here in this planet, in this solar system, in this galaxy, in this cosmo by accident. That a big bang happened and everything just happened. That everything started spinning like the Jimmy Dean commercial. You, you got to be ignorant to believe that. That that would just happen by accident. You want to you wanna prove it? Has anybody ever created a solar system for your kid for, as a school project? Try doing that. You, with all of your intelligence, you can't make the little cardboard planets go around each other and the moons go around that and stuff not hit each other. And you're smart. <laughs> Listen to me. You have to be willfully ignorant to believe that you and I are products of a single-cell amoeba that turned amphibian, that then turned mammal, that went monkey, that then made Puerto Ricans. You gotta be out your mind. You have to have more faith than a thousand ministers just to believe that a still unproven theory that you and I are accidents. I submit to you then that we are awesome creations and we have an incredible creator who designed us with passion and purpose. Somebody say amen. God created us to have fellowship with him. He gave us the ability to communicate with him, to have union with him. God created this perfect environment for us to have life and to have it to the fullest. God didn't even invent clothes until after we messed up. Read between the lines there. <laughs> clothes didn't come to after we messed up. God made us naked and set us free. Say he's a good God. Some of you feel, look uncomfortable. It's all right. Relax. So God created this so we would have fellowship in this perfect environment. Fast forward. Eve took a selfie by the tree with the forbidden fruit. Adam was right there and he posted it to his Instagram. Forgetting that he was a friend of God. And thus, a selfie separated us from God. Sin separated us from God. And then the sacrificial lamb had to become our temporary covering. Ultimately, God had to send the perfect sacrifice to be our permanent covering. The spotless lamb of God. And the word says the word became flesh 
and lived among us and lived for us and took the punishment and the weight of our sin on his back. And so Jesus says, he who believes in me, their sins will be forgiven and they will have everlasting life and they will live the way God intended them to live. Church, that's the good news of the gospel. I got nothing better for you than the gospel this morning. That's the good news of the gospel. You, <coughs> you don't have to die in your sin. You don't have to lose hope and take your life. You don't have to die full of regret. Isn't this what we're seeing all over on Facebook, on the news? You don't, listen, I see this tattoo all the time. I bet you there's at least three of you in here that have this tattoo. It's a smiling mask and a crying mask. And it says, laugh now, cry later. Church, you don't have to cry later. Come on, say amen. amen. The word tells us that after he was crucified, he rose again. And before he ascended unto heaven, he appeared to many to show himself and to strengthen the faith of his followers. And listen to what it says in Mark 16. It says, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to the twelve. Listen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He told those gathered there, he said, go and be the message. Preach, go into all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I'm removing the sugar coating from all the sweet scripture this morning. The good news has been entrusted to you and to me. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. Tell somebody, I'm salty. I'm the salt of the earth. I remember a long time I preached a message, I'm bringing salty back. But the word says if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Church, the, the, the church is in danger of losing its saltiness. All the nonsense that we hear and, and the nonsense that's done in the name of the Lord. We're in danger of losing our saltiness. Verse 14, it says, we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So church, those who believe are the salt and light of the world. I love this. Michael Youssef says, being salt and light is not optional. Jesus did not say you can be. He didn't say you have the potential to be. He said we are. We're the salt and light of the world. It's not like a heavy thing to hold on to right now. You are the salt and light of the world. You know, the heaviness of that just hit me again because here we are. If you look around, I don't know how many we have in here, maybe 200, 250, whatever. A small number. How many people live in that, those, those buildings there? That I think there are like six or seven buildings in one. How many people live right across the street? Here we are gathered having our little church times and we're worshiping and we're crying. And then we leave and we're on secret missions. While everybody in that building 
I mean, hopefully there's some of them, some of you here, but probably not a lot. Everyone in that building doesn't have the hope. We are the salt and light of the earth, and, and we haven't touched that building yet. Doesn't that hit anybody? Doesn't that bother anybody? So let me read the opening quote again. We should not ask what is wrong with this world, for that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask what has happened to the salt and the light. Church, I want us to commit to a no whole nother thing, man. We have to stop worrying about us so much. We got to get the selfie thing out of our heads, man. We have to start worrying about other people. We have to start taking it outside. We got to start being the message. Can, can I get one amen at least? Now listen, salt has a lot of amazing properties, but what, the, what Jesus was saying to those people, many of them were fishermen. So what they would have understood, to put that verse in context, what they would have understood is <coughs> they were fishermen, so, you know, they didn't have frigidaires. They didn't have, you know, the, the refrigerators with the ice and the water. They didn't have any refrigeration. So whenever they caught fish, you, you, I want you to feel the smell right now. Right? Whenever they caught, like, a lot of fish, they had no place to refrigerate it. So what would happen? That fish would decay, like, right away. Especially in the heat of, of the Middle East out there, in that heat, that fish would decay. So they would catch the fish, and they would salt it. It would be full of salt. They would salt it. Now, a salted fish, what the salt did was the salt stopped decay. So when Jesus tells the, uh, the, the apostles, he tells us, that we are the salt of the world. We're called to stop the decay in this sin-infected world. <laughs> to stop the decay. You, I, don't, I don't know if you guys, I mean, I know you guys are on Facebook, but I don't know if you watch the news. There's, there's, there's infection spreading. People are killing themselves. People are taking off their heads. People are having their heads taken off. We're called to stop the decay. Family, I believe and I've seen this with my own eyes, how the salt and light of God in me has prevented decay with people around me. Does anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know I'm not bragging about me, I'm talking about Christ in me. The hope of glory, amen? Nothing to do with me, I'm talking about Christ in me. When I say be the message, I'm not saying you're the gospel. I'm saying the gospel is in you. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. Be that message. Amen? The sooner you realize that, the quicker your life will take meaning. I, I hate hearing so many Christians, they come and they want to go to counseling and they want to, and they, oh, I don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like nothing's happening in my life. I don't feel, why? Because the world, you, you've associated the values with the values of this world, right? But you're not, we're not walking in what we're called to be. If you would just be salt and light, it didn't matter what you did for a living. Come on, I'm going to release somebody today. If you were salt and light, it wouldn't matter if you were the CEO or the, the head dishwasher. Because if you were salt and light, wherever you were, you'd already be satisfied. 
You'd already be fulfilling your potential. You'd already be walking in what God called you to be. I'm not saying it's bad to be the CEO. You should all be CEOs. But I'm saying that's not where you get your value from. That's not where we get your worth from. That's not going to satisfy. If there's any CEOs in here, I'll tell you. I'm the CEO of the Sanctuary Fellowship. That does not satisfy. What satisfies is being salt and light and stopping decay in somebody's life. With, with shine. Oh, man, come on. Come on, church. We're called to be light, but people are lost and Christians are putting on fancy light shows for other Christians. People are lost and dying and we're in church playing with our lights. I thought that was much deeper when I wrote it. <laughs> Apparently not. Church isn't the place to turn on your light. It's the place where we come to charge our batteries. Aye. Oh, that one you like? Hashtag church is a charger. Church is a charger. That's what happens. When we stay away from church for too long, we run dry. And we can say, oh, but I read the word, but I, you know, have fellowship. And yeah, you try to charge. You know, there's, there's that kind of charger that charges your battery quick. And then there's that charger that does that little slow drain. The, the little, or listen, you need a quick charge. You need to get in with the body of God. You need to come fellowship with people. You need to come and worship with people. You can do it on your own. But the word created this. God created this, instituted this, so that we would come and be charged. Amen? Church is a charger. Church is where we plug in. It's time we stop church jumping and conference hopping and famous people following just so we can hear the same message. Why should you hear the gospel week after week when some people haven't even heard it once? Doesn't that embarrass you? Why should we hear it week after week after week and not change when some people haven't even heard it once? And they're dying. And then their family's coming around them at a, at a funeral. Oh, he's in a better place now. Who's lying to who? Ay, ay, ay. Be the message, amen? I want us to walk out of here today saying, I am the message. Christ in me, the hope of glory. <coughs> now, I want to share a passage. I'm going to actually start preaching now. I want to share a passage of scripture. That was just to get us on the same page. I just wanted to realize who you were. I wanted you to understand the calling on your life. I want you to be on the same page. Now we're going to share a word. Amen? Let's open our Bibles. <laughs> I want to share a very unlikely passage of Scripture with you. It's not exactly the story that you think of when you're thinking about evangelism and, and being the message. And, but hopefully you can get what I got from it. I came across this passage this week in a book titled The Grace of God by Andy Stanley. Awesome book. I recommend it. And I've read this passage before. I've heard this passage preached on many times. I know the story. You, many of you will know the story when I read it. But when I read it this past week, it came alive to me. 
You know how sometimes the word, something different just comes alive and you know the story, you know what it is, you know what happens, you know the beginning, you know the end, you know the middle. But, but for some reason, at some point in your life, you read something and it comes alive. Amen? No? Then, then read your word. Maybe that'll happen a little bit more. <laughs> that you have to actually read it for that to happen. You know, you know how, understand how that works? Praise God. So I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to... I'm going to tell you the story this week, and I'll elaborate on it next week because there's some really good stuff here, and I don't want to rush. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn in your, all your smart devices to Joshua 1. It's important when a preacher says turn to a per certain passage that you check, make sure that book exists, make sure it's in your scripture, and then make sure it says what he says it's saying. Because in this world, there's itchy ears that want to hear just whatever, and people will give it to you. People will make up a book in a Bible, and they'll make up all kinds of things, and as a whole, the church will accept it and love it. And say, that guy's amazing. <coughs> Somebody just posted a video this morning I saw of that charlatan down in Miami that says he's the second coming of Christ. It would be a Hispanic. And he's telling people to get tattoos with 666. And people are doing it. This is what gets me angry. People are doing it. The interview takes place in a tattoo shop, and there's three or four people. People that look intelligent. Hispanics, Colombians, Dominicans. And they're getting 666 tattoos and 666 tattoos because he said that the Antichrist was uh, mistranslated and really it means the new Christ and he is the new Christ. And people are like, oh, okay, give me a tattoo, that's cool. 666, they're accepting the mark at a tattoo place because they don't know the word. That's why I'm so crazy when I tell you, check what you're, what you're listening to. It's important to not be running around listening to every famous preacher and every famous speaker all right, I'm off. Joshua 1. Joshua 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, the Israelites. I will give to you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. He's saying to Joshua. So God tells him, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. He tells him, so you be strong and courageous. And he tells him three times in the same sentence, in the same conversation, he tells him, so be strong and courageous. How many know when God tells you to be strong and courageous three times? He's got you stepping into some crazy adventures. Amen? Fast forward. They miraculously cross the Jordan. Too much to get into there. God shows that he's with them. And now here they are at the foot of the promised land in front of Jericho. But Jericho is already occupied. The Canaanites have already been living there. And they've developed such a pagan culture that pagans would look at the Canaanites and say, man, that's nasty. P 
pagans would look at these pagans and say, man, that's pagan. I mean, you know, it's bad when bad people are saying that you're bad. That's how bad they were. Bad people were saying that you're bad. So, I mean, it tells us we learn from history and from the word that there is all kinds of abominations taking place here. There is temple prostitution. There's religious idolatry. There's bestiality. There's, they're sacrificing their kids to their gods. Sacrificing children to their gods. Some of you say that's wicked, but we do it today in a different way. We sacrifice our kids because of our job. Well, that, uh, we don't have time for that. So in its day, Jericho was this Canaanite fortress city. It was a stronghold directly in the path of the advancing Israelites. Church, sometimes God calls us to step into places that are already occupied. Ay, ay, ay. Sometimes God calls us to do something that goes against what makes sense in our own mind. Sometimes God has us in places where he's not welcomed in. Some of you have complained, why do you have me in this job, God? Why do you have me in this building? Why do you have me in this neighborhood? Why do you have me in this community? Nobody serves you here. Nobody respects you here. And God would say, be strong and courageous and be the message. Be the message. Somebody say amen. Now, what's about to happen, some people have issues with this story and, and, and they don't like this and others like it. A lot of atheists love to use these stories to talk about how God is not love or nothing because in essence what God is going to do right now, he's going to send his people in to wipe out the entire city of people. And some people say, how can this God of love that loves and loves, <coughs> how can he... <coughs> send people into this to kill men, women, children and wipe out entire cities. They argue, how can this loving God do that? I'm going to speak to that issue next week because I don't want to focus on that right now, but I will address it. Amen? So here they are, God's telling them to go in and take that land. Now Jericho is a fortified city. Gated up, towers, the whole thing. Wicked wickedness is going in. So Joshua... Being a good general, he sends in two spies because he wants to scout out the land and see what's going on inside there. Now, posing as travelers, these two spies, they end up in the house of Rahab the prostitute. I know that sounds suspect to some of you. What are the two spies of God doing in Rahab's house, the prostitute? Sounds suspect, but think about it strategically. Where else could these two foreigners go in and come out where it wouldn't be out of the norm for strangers to come in and go out of? So it made sense this would be a place to, to be able to go in and scout out the land and, and hear from the people. Unfortunately, they were spotted because they were so Hebrew looking. And so they were spotted, word got back to the king, and they said, there's, there's two guys, there's two Hebrews in the house of Rahab. And so the king sent men over to the house of Rahab, and they said, give us those two men, those two Hebrews that were here. And Rahab says, they were here, but they left. If you run right now, you can catch them. But in essence, Rahab had hid them on the roof. Now why would Rahab the prostitute risk her lives to save these men? 
I'm glad you guys are asking that question. Here's what she told him. This is Rahab the prostitute speaking in Joshua 2, verse 8. He sa she says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, the Canaanites, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt, and we've heard also what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. So listen, she's saying, we know of you, we know who you are, and we know of your God. Now listen, this prostitute is about to make a proclamation that some of you have yet to make and be bold about. She says, for your Lord, the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth. And so she, a Canaanite, living among the most wicked people in the most idolatrous cultures, she, who apparently is in charge of a whorehouse. Do you understand who this lady is? Rahab, the prostitute, had a building by the city gates of a house of prostitution. Rahab apparently was in charge of the whorehouse because the king sent people to tell her to get those spies out of there. <coughs> Having heard of the Lord and understood that this land they were living in and doing all these vile things in, worshiping idols, sacrificing kids, they knew God's people would be coming and Rahab decided to believe. The Canaanites hardened their hearts and prepared for war. See, church, knowing about God isn't enough. Some of you say, well, I know God, I know, you know, and God knows me, and I know. No, knowing about God is not enough when your actions don't dictate your belief. When your actions don't reflect what you believe, knowing about God doesn't matter. The Word says even Satan knows about God. Even the demons know Jesus is Lord. What matters is how we respond to what we believe. And so the Canaanites believed that God had given Israel the land and they were coming to take it. And the Canaanites were scared, but they didn't submit. They were scared, but they didn't surrender. That's some people in this room right now. You have a fear of the Lord. Maybe that's what keeps you coming to church. You have a fear of what could happen without the Lord, but you haven't surrendered to God yet. You haven't submitted to God. Yet belief with no actions, faith without works is dead. Rahab says in Joshua 2.12, now then, this is her deal. She says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them that you will save us from death. So she believed and she acted on her belief. The spies tell her, this is what we want you to do. Tie a scarlet cord outside of your window so that when the Israelites come into the town, they'll know not to attack that one house. So the Israelites are going to come in and with the, with the mandate to kill everybody you understand how raw this is 
kill everybody. We're going to wipe out this entire land. But when they see the scarlet cord, they'll skip everyone in that house. They will not attack that house. There's so much more. We'll get into that next week. But what I want you to see for today is that when they finally attacked Jericho, and it's an incredible story. We'll get into that next week. When they finally attacked Rahab and all who belonged to her, everybody that she reached, all that she invited, all that accepted her invitation, they were saved from destruction. We read in Joshua 6, it says, so the young men who had done the spying, they went in after when they attacked they went in and they brought out Rahab and they brought out Rahab's father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then it says, and then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men the spies that were sent, and she lived among the Israelites to this day. I want you to reflect on this as we close. Worship team, you guys can come up. Because listen, when it comes to sharing your faith, so many people say, well, I'm not a minister. I'm not a, I'm not a speaking person. I'm not a talker. I'm not a preacher. Anybody ever shared that excuse? My belief is personal. I don't speak nice. I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough to share anything. I don't know enough to share anything. Anybody ever shared that? My belief is personal. It's between me and God. God knows my heart. Meanwhile, church, there are people all around you hungry for God. Meanwhile, there are people desperate for the presence of God. There are people contemplating taking their lives. There are people so lost and so broken, and we refuse to be the salt and light of the earth. Because we don't think we're called enough. We don't think we're worthy enough, or we can make any difference in the... Listen, we don't think we have our lives together enough. Your excuses disappear when Rahab, the prostitute, became the message of good news. I wish somebody would hear me today. You say, I don't have my life together. I don't know enough about the word to share. Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know how you picture this. You might picture Rahab as soon as the spies came. She tied her hair in a bun and she wore a long skirt and, and, and she didn't shave her. No, Rahab was still a prostitute when they ministered to her. Rahab was a prostitute when she believed. Rahab was, didn't have time to continue being a prostitute, but Rahab was in her sin. Rahab hadn't learned anything. All she knew was that God is God. And she believed that God is the God of heaven and of earth. And she didn't know any other scripture. She couldn't quote a passage. She couldn't, couldn't quote a, a verse. or no. She knew nothing. All she knew was that if she tied a scarlet cord in her window, Everyone that came under the covering of her house would be saved. 
Why could Rahab lie to the guards that came looking for the men? Because she was a professional liar. How could she deceive the soldiers? Because that's what she did. That's how she rolled. But what Rahab did in the Old Testament, we'll, we'll see next week, it's talked about in Matthew, it's talked about in Hebrews, and it's talked about in James. What she did in the Old Testament made it to the New Testament and had everybody talking about it. In James 2.25, this is going to mess somebody's theology up. <clears throat> James 2.25, it says, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous because of what she did. How do we say prostitute and righteous in the same sentence? Wrestle with that. Because some of you say, well, I'm a bum. Well, bum and righteous can be prostitute and righteous are in the same sentence. Why? Because of what she did. Because of what she believed. Receive this, Romans 5, 6, as you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Church Rahab didn't remain a prostitute after she trusted and believed in God, but she was a prostitute when she was called. She was a Canaanite when she believed. She was an enemy of God who received the grace of God and was changed by the love of God. Family, that's all you need today to make a difference and to be the message. God in, in this word has made it evident that this world has made itself an enemy of God and the judgment of God will have to one day come. We see and we hear earthquakes and storms and we say, oh, that's the wrath of God over there on that country. That's God's judgment on those people. It doesn't matter what you want to believe about that, but here's the picture I want to stay in your mind. When judgment comes, because it will come, I want to be, if I'm still on this earth, I want to be in the house with the scarlet cord in the window. And I want to have my family with me. And I want to have my friends with me. And I want them to have their families with them and their friends with them. And I want there, I want there to be such a house full of people that are under the covering because they came under the covering of God because I chose to be the message. And that means I have to live the message. I have to tell the message. I have to be Christ in me, the hope of glory. Church, I believe God is asking us to bring those that belong to us under the covering of the house with the scarlet cord. And today I hope that I've removed every excuse that you have to not be salt and light wherever you go this week. Wherever you go this week, know that you're there to stop the decay. Wherever you go this week, know that you're there to bring light to the darkness. 
wherever you go this week. That means be careful in your complainings. Be careful in your gossip. Be careful in the conversations you get involved. Be careful in your joking. Be careful noticing and know your surroundings because there's people around you that even if they're smiling all the time like Robin Williams there's people all around you that are broken and they're depressed and they might smile at work and they might be the funniest guy at work but they go home and they have to drink themselves to sleep they have to shoot a needle they have to pop a pill to wake up to go to sleep they could be the most broken people around you and God is calling you to stop the decay. Church, I believe this is the most powerful message we could ever share here. We're called to be the message. Can we stand? between Rahab and the Canaanites was they both believed the same thing but Rahab acted on it some of you here I'm calling you to act on it you've been here a long time or you whether it was here or a hundred other places you've heard the word the message has been in you you've heard too much message to still be a mess and so I challenge you today to get under the red cord I challenge you to get today to get under the cover. Wherever it is that you're standing, whatever you're wrestling with, right now your own flesh and the enemy would tell you, ah, you don't have to do nothing. You can't do nothing. You're no good anyway. You're going to mess up as soon as you leave this building. And that's probably true. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get it right 100% of the time. but we're called to be better, amen? And we're called to be the message. And so if you're here and you, you want to make a decision and you're saying, I'm going to step forward, I, I'm tired of playing games, I, it's time for me to be the message. I want to see some messages come down today. Just get out of your seats, just come down. Just say, I, I, I need to be the message where God has called me to be. Amen. 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 guarantee you, I promise you that if you knew judgment was coming to this house today and you had to get under the scarlet cord, I guarantee you you'd be fighting each other for a space in the room. But our problem is we think we got so much time. I'm still young. I got so many years. I can live the way I want to live. And the saddest thing about that is that you don't know. And the saddest thing, even, even sadder about that is, forget about you don't know, is that God has placed you in places where there are people around you that need you, and you're still playing with yourself. God, 
God has placed you in places where people need you and you're still checking self. Wow. Wow. Father, forgive us, Lord. Father, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not being salt and light, God. Forgive us for playing games. Forgive us for being so self-absorbed, God. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for the mercy of another day. Thank you, God, for allowing us to come back under your covering today, Lord God. Thank you, God, that you haven't removed the scarlet cord from our window, God. Thank you, God, that you've been with us ever since we decided to trust you. No matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, Father, thank you. Thank you for covering Rahab the prostitute. Put your name in that prayer. Put your name and what you've done in that prayer. Say thank you.